though you're alive, now what? We've been working our way through Ecclesiastes. We switched gears a little bit around Easter time, Resurrection Sunday, and uh, we were focusing on living in light of the end. And now as we continue on in Ecclesiastes, we're working through this idea of living well under the sun with the risen sun. And so as we think about Solomon, and he wrote his own personal journal, and his own personal journal, God inspired, he gives it to us, and we've been learning about him and understanding that he had it all. He had everything going for him, yet as his life comes to an end, he's experiencing regret as he reflected how he lived under the sun, which would be actually on this planet, living under the sun, without the sun. So we're looking, because of the risen sun, that you and I have something going for us that Solomon himself didn't have. You and I can live this chapter of life on planet Earth, under the sun, with the sun. And last week we talked about the resurrection and talked about how pivotal, uh, how significant that is for our faith, our lives. If that is not a reality, uh, then we're just playing games. But if that is a reality, uh, then it changes everything. And if you need to catch up with any of that, you can see that on uh, one of our uh, ways to do that. You can go online and look at that and uh, find out a little bit more information about uh, living under the sun or with the sun and the resurrection. So what we're going to be talking about, again, as we continue on with this, is we're going to see that, again, Solomon has candor when it comes to living this life under the sun. Uh, he gives us it the way it really is. And uh, sometimes that can be challenging. Uh, sometimes that can be upsetting. Uh, but often that can be refreshing as we really think about what it is to live well under the sun with the risen sun. And a big part of that is this word called worship. And this idea that as you and I live lives, if we're a Christ follower, we actually live life as a worshiper. It's not compartmentalized to an act on Sunday morning. It's much more than that. So you and I live a life of worship. If you're just trying to figure out whether faith has any bearing in your life, uh, this will be good information for you as you think about what it means to follow Christ. But for those of us who have said yes to Christ, it's all about living a life of worship. Now, when we think about living a life of worship, there's some ideas that come in mind, and there's things that really captivate us, that really wow us. And, uh, you know, I've, I've lived with my wife now 30 years, and, you know, we had three daughters, and they're kind of on their own, but there's 20 years there. And, uh, you know, I kind of know what wows them, but I wouldn't go on record because I might be still a little bit off. But I know what wows a guy. I know what takes the breath of a guy away, and uh, so when we're thinking about the idea of worship, there's this piece where it kind of like takes our breath away, but it's with this relationship with the living God. So as I was thinking about this and thinking about uh, what takes our breath away, there's nothing like this that takes our breath away. This is the face of a man watching college football on an 82-inch Samsung QLED TV. He's not watching his team. He doesn't even have a team. He's more of a golf guy. And yet, here we are. Look at that face. 
He is wowed. He is captivated. Guys are captivated by things like that. Guys are captivated by TVs, and, and they just, they're just, wow. We're also captivated by food. That's how we do it on the farm. Barbecue Pringles? Pizza Pringles. You made barbecue pizza. Wow. 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 Add a jalapeno. Spicy barbecue pizza. Wow. 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 You can stack different flavors. Nobody asked you, Kevin. Wow. Wow. Guys are pretty simple. There are things that captivate us. There's things that uh, hold on to our heart. And they just create this wow. There's this idea, though, in Scripture, there's this idea when we have said yes to Christ, that our relationship with him will put us in the wow. We find out that we worship him. Because the reality is, is that all of us, whether it's Pringles, whether it's an 82-inch TV, whatever it may be, all of us, because we're human beings, end up worshiping something. For us, it boils down to this. This line isn't in your notes. Uh, it's down to this. is We are going to worship something, but we can choose what we worship. So no matter where you're at, no matter if you're just here because you're here and spiritual things, eh, I'm just here to be nice to a friend or my family, whether you're here because you're all in, uh, whether you're here because you're testing the waters, whatever that may be, no matter who we are, we all worship something. And uh, we can choose what we're going to worship. We can choose what owns our hearts, what captivates us, what makes us go, wow. And for some of us who've been following Christ for a little while, a long while, some of the wow is kind of dissipated. But if you and I are going to live well under the sun with the risen sun, that wow, that worship needs to continue to be rekindled, continue to be on fire, and that is possible. And when that is possible, and when that is a bearing in our life, we find ourselves living well. In Romans 12:1, we read this, take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around and place it before God as an offering to worship him. This truly is the way to worship him. And the idea is it's just not Sunday morning, it's just not a song, it's just not an act, it is a lifestyle. And what is great about this is this doesn't have to weigh us down with heaviness. This actually brings fresh air into our life because when you're living your ordinary life, it can actually be worship to God. Doing the normal stuff. Just being human. Walking around life. It can be worship. We can continually have this, this wow in our heart. And so it's not just Sunday morning for an hour and ten minutes. It can be lifestyle. And as a Christ follower, we're going to find that we really don't live well under the sun when our ordinary life, not just the special moments, but our ordinary life is not lived before him as an act of worship. 
As I was thinking about this all week, I put some thoughts down as a definition for worship, and this is probably not perfect, but this is what I was thinking about, is worship is more than Sunday. For the Christ follower, it is our life. We demonstrate God's worth, his wow, in our daily choices and by taking regular time or taking time regularly to value God personally and in community. You see, we demonstrate his value, his worth, his wow in our life in our daily choices, in our everyday ordinary life. That's where it really is where the rubber meets the road, our daily choices, how you interact with people in your life, how you order your life, what you think about, all those things. That is a part of our worship. And as we said last week, singing may be great. Singing may be a part of our worship. But some of us do, or all of us do, a lot more worshiping as we're living our ordinary life than just on a Sunday morning. And we do that regularly, taking time with him. So there's our decisions, our choices. It's taking time with him on a regular basis. It's by talking with him, praying, shutting out the world for a few moments every day, and regularly meeting with him personally. That's a part of our worship. That's a part of showing that he has value. When I don't take time with him, I'm showing that I don't value that time, and it's not important. It's no more accurate than that. It's no more truthful than that. When I let something else eclipse that time with him on a regular basis, on just a personal level, I am saying spending time with God isn't worth it. You see, it's daily. And then it's also in community, a gathering like this. This isn't at all. Sometimes I have people say, well, you know, uh, you know, sitting in a church or sitting in a pew on Sunday, that's not really where faith is outside the world. And yeah, I would agree with that. But I've got to hope, I really hope, that, that gathering together regularly in community is a part of showing that God is important in our life. Anytime we let something else squeeze it out, and sometimes there's things we have to be about, so I'm not talking about missing every once in a while, but when I let other things squeeze it out, sleep, activity, and that's my regular consistent life, then I'm saying gathering with him is not worth it. Gathering together in community has less value than other things. And, uh, you know, that's again, that's not pulling any punches. That's just honest. Because I found in my own life, anything I value, I figure out how to make it happen in my life. Doctor's appointment, I, I, I make those happen. Uh, going to buy something, I make that happen. Uh, an activity, I make that happen. So it, it really is whether what it's worth in my life. It's, it's, it's nothing else than that. So, so worship is more than Sunday. For Christ followers, it is our life. So if you're not a Christ follower, this, in a sense, doesn't really apply to you. But if you are, this does apply to you. We demonstrate God's worth, his wow, in our daily choices, doing what's right, aligning our life with him, his preferred will, by taking regular time with him. 
Sometimes we call that devotions, quiet time, Bible reading, whatever you, whatever you want to call that, daily time where, where we, we close out the rest of the world and by meeting in community. That's, that's worship. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, a letter to Hebrews, uh, writes this. He says, let us consider how to inspire each other to greater love and righteous deeds. It's the idea that this thing called faith isn't a, a single-player sport. It's a team sport. And again, I'm just going to be truthful with you, and I'm not trying to step on toes too much, maybe a little bit, but uh, some of us live like it's an individual sport. That's not the way God intended it to be. And yes, churches mess up, churches don't do things right, all that kind of thing. Uh, they're not perfect because they're made up of, of imperfect people. But there ought to be some place in your life where there's a community that you gather. Whether it's here or somewhere else, I'm not as much concerned about that. But it's got to be a community. So it encourages us. And it's got to be a community that encourages us on to greater love and righteous deeds, right things. Not forgetting to gather as a community, as some have forgotten, encouraging each other, especially as the day of his return approaches. We want to find ourselves in the best place in our soul, in our heart, when Jesus comes back. And for those of us who know Jesus and love Jesus, we live in anticipation that he's coming back. And on that day, not out of guilt, but on that day, I want to be happy I'm face-to-face -face with him. Not because I've lived a perfect life, not because I'm the most perfect Christian on the, the planet. I want to be happy when I face him because, because I've tried my best. And trying my best isn't a cop-out because he'll know when I really tried my best and when I didn't try my best. Oh, I tried my best. I go, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. I mean, we've all done that, right? We've all done a job around the house for our spouse, and she looks at it. it yes, yeah, right, do it again. <laughs> she doesn't even get to the point. And I don't even dare say anymore, I tried my best, because she knows, right? So, so, you know, if that's true, that's true. If it isn't true, you're not going to, and sometimes I can get it over, Cindy. Yeah, I tried my best. Okay, okay, thanks for trying. You know, but with the Lord, there's not, it's not going to work. So we gather together, we worship Personally time, community time, and in our daily choices. And Solomon, as he looks back at his life, starts to think about these things and starts to talk about these things. So if you want to go to Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1, that's page 463, you'll find in the, the rack Bible around you. If you don't have one of those Bibles or don't have a printed Bible, you can take that Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Also, there's version, which I love because you can have your Bible on your phone everywhere you go. It can be with you because most of us take our phones everywhere we go, any electronic device, and you can have it right along. So Ecclesiastes 5, uh, verse 1. And it starts off this way. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps. Watch your steps. When you go to the house of God. I might even like to say, guard your steps when you go into the presence of God. Now, on one hand, I'm going to say we're always in the presence of God. 
He's around us. He's with us. But there are those moments where we purposely, intentionally close out the world and go into the presence of God. And Solomon says, watch your steps. Be careful. Be aware. When you come in on a Sunday morning and you're getting ready, I've been in the car, I've been bringing my family times, and it's just crazy in the family. The car, I'm maybe not on my best behavior, and we pull into the parking lot, the door opens, it's like, hi. You know, and it wasn't that way. How are you doing? Oh, great, the Lord's wonderful, life's wonderful, and it wasn't wonderful on the way in. But guard your steps. Prepare your heart. Be ready when you enter the presence of God. I don't know if you've ever been exposed to someone who's famous. Had them come to your house. Be with them. And, and, and you, you, you have them, they're coming, or they're someone new, or maybe it's a boss or whatever, and you prepare for their arrival. You're concerned about their arrival. You don't just... Uh, play around with it. You're, you're, you're ready for their arrival and you, in a sense, guard your steps. And when we enter the presence of God, when we plan to be in the presence of God, we ought to guard our steps. But sometimes we're so familiar, sometimes we want to go with casual Fridays that we act like this. They do, they do this, I guess, every Friday at the Buckingham Palace. I, I didn't know that. All right, off you go. Fridays at Buckingham Palace. Mm. Surprising. You've never seen that. That never happens. There's never casual Fridays at Buckingham Palace. Never happens. But does it happen when you and I go into the presence of God? Is it casual Friday all the time? Or do we go with a little fear? Do we go with a little awareness? that we're going into the presence of God Almighty, the one who gave his son, the one who made everything possible for us. Do we go into his presence? Do we watch our steps like this guy?
Aren't we happy? That's not the way it is when we go into the presence of God. But do we have any penance? I'm getting a lot of feedback up here. Um, do we have any penance? Do we have any humility? Do we really guard our steps? I don't know. Only you know. I can't even look at your external being to say, there's a person guarding their steps. You can't look at me and say, Dave's guarding his steps. You don't know. It's not really external. It's internal. But if you and I really want to live well under the sun, with the risen sun, then we guard our steps. We have a lifestyle, a life of worship. We value him. We have a wow for him. And because we value him and wow him, we, we have this, this reverence, this, this respect, because we know who God is and who we are not. Now, it's interesting, um, if you went to Jerusalem, and I've never been there, uh, the steps into the temple, one of the renditions of the temple, are still present up into one of the walls. And if you were to actually walk up these steps, you would find that uh, the steps are not even. The rise and the, the depth are all a little different. They're all a little off a little bit. And that's not because of wear and tear. That's not because uh, they've just gotten old. Those steps were designed that way on purpose. Because when worshipers came to worship the God at the temple, they wanted the worshipers to not enter in carelessly. They wanted them to pay attention as they took those steps to go into the presence of God. The symbolism is amazing. That's, that, that is the way they set it up. So again, as we think about as a Christ follower, and if you're not a Christ follower, again, this, this is how your, your buddy that brought you is supposed to be living their life. Don't expect people that have said not said yes to follow Christ to follow Christ with their lifestyle. That would be ridiculous. Wouldn't put that on you. But for those of us who have said yes to following Christ, we need to guard our steps on a regular basis when we spend time with him regularly, and even when we come on Sunday. Goes on to say, guard your steps when you go to the house of the Lord. Go near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know they do wrong. Oh, that might sound a little, little strong. What's, what, what, what would that sacrifice look like for us? That would look right for us to be singing these songs and singing them robustly, singing them you know, with, with all the external meaning, but when we're singing them, it has no impact. We're not even realizing what we're singing. During the Christmas season, I sometimes find it offensive when I watch some magnificent recording artist sing some of the most sacred Christmas music. And you, they sing it unbelievably like angels. But you know that it has nothing to do with the condition of their heart. Do we do a little bit of that when we gather 
on a Sunday morning. We don't even know we're doing it wrong because we've not guarded our steps. Now, the reality is none of us come completely prepared for Sunday morning. None of us are, are perfect. That's why we celebrate the risen Lord. He, he gave his life for us. He offered his life so that our imperfectness, our sin, can be forgiven. So that we can, in a sense, come into God's presence corporately, individually, and be okay. And be more than okay. So I don't want to steer you totally, uh, well, then I guess I never can go to church. Thanks, Dave. I'll be able to sleep in every Sunday morning because you know, I'm never totally prepared. That's not what I'm saying. But do we really think about what we're doing when we gather together, collectively or individually? Sometimes I've, I've realized that even in my personal quiet time, I let things creep in, distractions creep in, and I, 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 I stay with them a little bit longer than I ought to. And um, why do I do that? Because I, I let, I'm not guarding my steps. We read on in verse 2. Do not be quick with your mouth, and do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. How to think about this a little bit. What is that really saying to us? What, what, what is that saying to us? First of all, the last little sentence there, it's reminding me that God is God and I am not. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get caught up with my self-importance. Get caught up with, man, I'm kind of starting to get life a little bit better organized and, and uh, maybe I can tell God how to run my life rather than having him run it. I forget who he is. When I thought about don't be quick with your mouth, I, I listen to a lot of, of content. I listen to a lot of messages. I listen to a, a lot of books online. I, I, I read a lot of stuff, audiobooks and that kind of a thing. And as I'm listening, I can very quickly say, yes, Lord, I am in. I'll do that. I'll be that. But then as quickly as I said, yes, I am in, I'll do that, I'll be that, I'll, I'll add those things to my, my life and try to be integrated in those things, as quickly as I do that, it just slips through my mind. It just slips off the plate. I think there's a carelessness of that. If someone of great significance in my life said something to me, I usually write it down. I usually hold on to it. When Cindy and I first were dating and she would send me a handwritten note before emails and texts, I would get that note and I would read it and read it and read it and almost memorize it, try to see what the hidden mission... Dave, that was really fun. I love... What does that mean? Does that mean... Does that like me and I really, really, really like her? Is that just kind of a nice like or is, that, is she just being polite to me because I'm an immature 19-year-old? I don't know what it is. But, uh, you know, I really would read it and, and I would hold on to it. When God speaks into your life, in worship, and makes his presence known to you, do you hold on to it? Or do you let it go? Is it hasty in your heart and gone? A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay 
to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. So I think he's even saying to us that when you and I are in that place, I don't know what's going on with this, but uh, when you and I are in that place and we agree and our heart goes, yes, Lord, that's what I want to do. That's what I be, And we just let it go and we don't even start making traction in our life. And, and sometimes it, it takes some work. It takes some energy. It just doesn't happen like that. We've actually got to put our mind to it, put our shoulder to the plow and making these changes and integrating what we've said yes to it. But when we don't do that, and it's not because we're working through it, it just, it just doesn't happen God's not cool with that. It's actually disturbing to him to lean in to say, this is what I'm going to do, this is the direction I'm going, and then we totally back off from it. Verses seven, 6 or 7, we read, Do not let your mouth lead you into sin, and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at you, what you say, and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. My vow was a mistake. There have been times in my life where I know God is present and leading me to take a step in this direction. And the step may be small. The step may be big, whatever it is. And then it just doesn't come together in my life. And I, I kind of like make this excuse, well, that was really a mistake. I, I really didn't hear him leading me to do that or not do this. And I kind of like blow it off. That's what, it, that's what Solomon's talking about. When God lays something on your heart and it really is from him, do you hold on to it? Do you, do you hold on to that vow? Do you hold on to You've led me to do this. You've led me to stop doing this. You've led me to get involved with this. You've led me to whatever it may be. Do, do you hold on to it? Or do you just let it be a dream that becomes meaningless? Therefore, fear God. Now, when most of us read that expression, expression fear God, we go, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to fear? It really is this, this prudence, this, this reverence for God. It's not that we're totally scared of him. It's not like we're, uh, because I don't know about you. Actually, they keep me away from power tools, but if I was to have a power tool in my hand, there, there's, this, there's this balance of being prudent with it, not being afraid of it, but also respecting it. When you and I use something like that and we're actually nervous with it, more mistakes happen. When you and I are not nervous with it, but have a respect for it, uh, better things happen. So it's the idea of having this respect for God. Then it's interesting as he walks through this idea of worshiping.
about what is going on in our world, in our country, and what is going on. And we, we look at these things. We look at what happened in California yesterday. We look at other things. We just go, what is going on? What is happening? And I think some of the responsibility is for those of us who follow Christ, who claim to be Christians, are not really wow when it comes to God. That he is not worth everything to us. And because of that, it has a triple effect. Sometimes I travel around with Christian friends, and they're all upset about society. And they're all like, ah, oh, that's so bad. Look what they're doing. And then I have to say, what am I doing? Have I lost a vision for God's wonder? Do I have awe for him anymore? Because if I don't, that, that kind of drips out of my life. I can be a Christ follower that on the outside looks one way, inside I'm not engaged, and it, it, it has an effect. It, it, it touches my world. So when I get irritated with the way someone who's not a Christ follower is living, but I'm not really living as a Christ follower, I really don't have any right. I actually own that problem. I shouldn't get upset at somebody. I should be looking back as a collective community of Christ followers. Are we really living what we say? John Adams, the second president of the United States, wrote this. We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. That's fancy talk for saying if the people of this democracy, of this government, if the, the country is not moral and religious, the government, the systems will not work. John Adams said that in 1798. It reminds me of this uh, Harvard professor and what he said. Some time ago, I had a conversation with a Marxist economist from China. He was coming to the end of a Fulbright Fellowship here in Boston, and I asked him if he had learned anything that was surprising or unexpected. And without any hesitation, he said, yeah. I had no idea how critical religion is to the functioning of democracy. The reason why democracy works, he said, is not because the government was designed to oversee what everybody does, but rather democracy works because most people, most of the time, voluntarily choose to obey the law. And in your past, most Americans attended a church or a synagogue every week and they were taught there by people who they respected. My friend went on to say that Americans followed these rules because they had come to believe that they weren't just accountable to society, they were accountable to God. My Chinese friend heightened a vague but nagging concern I've harbored inside that as religion loses its influence over the lives of Americans, what will happen to our democracy? Where are the institutions that are going to teach the next generation of Americans that they, too, need to voluntarily choose to obey the laws? Because if you take away religion, you can't hire enough police.
interesting. So when we look at our greater world, when we look at our country, when we get upset at some of the things that we see going on, I have to own that I may be a part of the problem. Because when I don't hold God as the center of my life as a Christ follower, when I'm not wowed with him, when I don't worship him with my everyday life, when I don't worship him on my own, when I don't worship him with others in community, it has an effect. And Solomon saw that. That's the reason Solomon says, guard your steps when you come into the presence of God. Talks about that. Listen, don't make vows. Don't agree with what God says in your life and agree that you're going to make that a part of the rhythm of your life and then not follow through. Don't be that way because when you are that way, when that is the core of your worship, it just isn't you, it's, it's society that gets affected with that. That's why our definition is worship is more than Sunday. For the Christ follower, it is our life. We demonstrate God's worth, his wow in our daily choices. And by taking him regularly to value God personally and in community. For those of you taking notes, we're going to jump right down to the bottom line right now. The rest of your blanks will be online later on today. The bottom line is this. Worship is an external expression of an internal possession. Worship is an external expression of an internal possession. So our worship, which we think of being external, what's happening outside, all hinges on who possesses our heart. Where the wow is, where the worth is. And when that takes place, you and I live well under the sun with the risen sun. When we don't do that as Christ followers, not only do we not live well under the sun with the risen sun, but it has an effect on our society and on our culture. Let's pray. Father, we're blown away by your patience with us. Your love for us in spite of our actions. We claim to value you. We claim to hold you in utmost worth as Christ followers. But often, thankfully not always, that truth is not integrated into our daily decisions. It's not integrated into our daily hunger to spend time with you on a daily basis or even show up regularly at church. So we ask for forgiveness for that. For those of us who know you, we ask that you would be the center of our life, that worship would be our life, that it would be the main dish of life, not a side dish, not a dessert, not an appetizer, and then life is everything else. All of us are at different places. All of us need to take next steps because none of us have arrived. And we ask that whatever that next step is for us, whether it's someone who's new to following you, help them to take that next step so they can live well under the sun. If it's someone that has been following you for decades, we ask that you would help us 
to take that next step so we live well under the sun with the risen sun. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning that has not said yes to you, has not crossed the line of faith, I pray in this moment you'd be speaking to their heart and they would respond, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I want to live well under the sun with the risen sun. I pray that they would understand that you came to give your life Understand that you died and rose again and then offer yourself to us and that even in this moment where they see, they would say, Lord, I am going to start following you. I want to live with you under the sun. You're so good to us. You're so patient with us. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.